And then moving on to a, another study here that we'll announce here before too long. But First Kings chapter 21, uh, we understand as we're getting here to the end, Elijah has been through quite a bit. We see him this, remember him being just a simple mountain man uh, that God called and gave a message to. He went straight to the king. Very first thing he ever did in service to God was to go to the king and tell him what he was doing wrong. And, and then God sent him from this very great high in his service to him uh, to the brook Cherith. And he was there at that brook for uh, quite a bit of time. And as he was there, the ravens brought him food. He drank out of the brook till it dried up. Then went to a widow in a place called Zarephath and, and had to depend on her and what God gave them through the oil and the meal every day to feed them. And through all those things, God prepared him for that great triumph uh, that we find there on the mountain against 450 prophets of Baal. And then as we find him where he is now, uh, we just went over him at a very dark time in his life, and we are now five to six years disconnected uh, from that moment in time. And we look here in chapter 21, beginning in verse 17, and we're going to see what God does in Elijah's life uh, in this part of the journey. It says, And the word of the Lord came unto Elijah the Tishbite, saying, Arise, go down to meet Ahab, king of Israel, which is in Samaria. Behold, he is in the vineyard of Naboth, whether he has gone down to possess it. And thou shalt speak unto him, saying, Thus saith the Lord, Hast thou killed and also taken possession? And thou shalt speak unto him, saying, Thus saith the Lord, In the place where dogs lick the blood of Naboth, shall dogs lick thy blood, even thine. And Ahab said to Elijah, Hast thou found me, O mine enemy? And he answered, I have found thee, because thou hast sold thyself to work evil in the sight of the Lord. Behold, I will bring evil upon thee, and will take away thy posterity, and will cut off from Ahab him that pisseth against the wall, and him that is shut up and left in Israel, and will make thine house like the house of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, and like the house of Basha, the son of Ahijah, and for the provocation wherewith thou hast provoked me to anger, and made Israel to sin. And of Jezebel also spake the Lord, saying, The dogs shall eat Jezebel by the wall of Jezreel. Him that dieth of Ahab in the city of dogs shall eat, and him that dieth in the fields shall the fowls of the air eat. But there was none like unto Ahab, which did sell himself to work wickedness in the sight of the Lord, whom Jezebel, his wife, stirred up. And he did very abominably in following idols, according to all things, as did the Amorites, whom the Lord cast out before the children of Israel. And it came to pass, when Ahab heard those words, that he rent his clothes and put sackcloth upon his flesh and fasted, and lay in sackcloth and went softly. And the word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite, saying, Seest thou how Ahab humbleth himself before me? Because he humbleth himself before me, I will not bring the evil in his days. But in his son's days will I bring the evil upon his house. If you're here tonight, and as I study this today, I, I kept coming uh, just with a thought of God's grace. And as we look here, beginning in verse 17, we see God's grace to a prophet that really probably thought God was done with him. And then we see God's grace uh, to a sinner named Ahab. And we're going to look at that together tonight. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. God, we thank you, Lord, for your word. Lord, we thank you, Lord, for the life of Elijah and what you have for us through it tonight. Lord, be with me as I preach. I pray that you help me to com clearly communicate this truth tonight. Uh, be with the listener. God, those that are listening online, those that are in the pew today, I pray that you'd help them, God, to receive exactly what it is you have for them to receive tonight. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Five to six years have passed since we saw Elijah just a week ago, that very dark day in his life, and we saw how God delivered him from that moment. 
And at the end of that chapter, we mentioned it a couple of months ago as we preached that text on a Sunday morning, but God gave Elijah a new friend named Elisha. And during this time of five to six years, no doubt, Elijah has been training him and spending time with him as God is preparing Elijah to be the next great prophet for the children of Israel. But over these five to six years, the children of Israel have not heard anything from Elijah. He's possibly, as I said, been training Elijah to take his place, but we find him having many years out of the spotlight, being rested up, doing whatever God had for him in that time. But as we, as we look at Elijah, what's going on in his life, and no matter what Elijah was thinking in his life, we find him here in verse 17. When God came to him, he was ready. And we, and we find no sense of hesitation. We find no sense of weariness. We don't see him in a defeated spirit. When God directed, he moved uh, with this new task that God had for him. And as I mentioned just a moment ago, as I read this, read this text, I, all I could be, just think about for those few moments was the grace of God. Elijah made some big mistakes in, the, in his Christian walk and his fellowship with God and wanting God to just finish him. He, he gave up on life for that moment. But we find him here years later, God is ready to use him again. And only by the grace of God was God ready to use him again. We see grace for service. We see grace for sin. So the first thing I want to point out tonight is the new mission for Elijah. We look at the call here in verse 17 and 18 of God on his life. And God in his grace had a new task for Elijah as we just read about. And as this message, as this uh, instruction came to Elijah, it brought with it a great comfort. Because first of all, we understand God was not done with this man. As you, as you would put yourself in Elijah's shoes, we understood where he was just a week ago. We saw him five to six years before ready for his life to be over. He'd given up. He didn't know why God allowed these things to happen, why they still wanted him dead. He did everything God wanted him to do, and all this, these terrible things were happening, and he ran out of God's will. All those, all those things happened. And could, would you think over the last five to six years, as, as we don't have any evidence that God had any kind of plan for him or new instruction, that Elijah possibly thought God was done using him? Would you, would you probably be, with, be there with me tonight? He possibly had his last day in the spotlight. And it appears by his response to God that he was content. In his response to God, he was submitted to God because when God came back, he was ready to go. There was no bitterness there towards God. He didn't mention anything to the fact of God forsaking him or forgetting about him. He was content in what he was doing. But the word of God came to Elijah and instruction came to him again. And God still had a plan for Elijah. God still desired to use Elijah for his glory. There's going to be moments in your life that you might feel that God has finished using you. There might be moments in your life where you feel you've done something against God or you feel far from God and you may, you may have a sense that God is not going to use you for any kind of ministry. God's not going to use you to affect any kind of people. You may feel that you've lost your effectiveness or usefulness to God. And there's different reasons that that, 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 that comes, isn't there? One of the reasons that may bring us to that mindset is just we've allowed sin into our life. We've done something against God. We've done something contrary to the will of God. Maybe there's just been a lack of fellowship. How many times have we been close to God, we've read his word, we've prayed, we feel like we're drawing closer to him, and then, and then things begin to wean off, and we don't pray as much, we don't read as much, we aren't in church as we need to be. There's a need to draw nigh to God, we're aware of that. Possibly sin and some sort of separation has, has brought us to that sense where we aren't effective for God anymore, or cannot be useful to him. Or it may just be that God has 
setting us aside for a time to grow in a particular area, to, to get our strength back, to get the rest we need, to get the spiritual nourishment that we need, or in, to prepare us for something greater. Whatever the reason is tonight, I want to encourage you, when you don't feel like God is using you, or when you feel like you're not as effective as you should be or had been in the past for God, don't give up. Elijah's a great testimony to, to, to God. It was, it was five to six years of, we, we, read, we read these couple chapters here in between where we were last week, and there's no mention of Elijah. But God wasn't done with him. Even though it was a handful of years, God still had a plan for him. And what I want to encourage you to do in those periods of waiting or when you know you've allowed something to come into your life that's hurt your fellowship with God or, or ability to be used of God at the moment, use that time wisely. Use that time to grow closer to God. Use that time to come back to God. Pray, seek his face, learn his word, be faithful even in dry periods of life because God hasn't forgotten about you. you know, the promises that we have, he will never leave us nor forsake us. Lo, I am with you, what? Always. We are sealed into the day of redemption. So if you're, here in the, if you're saved and you're here in this world, you are still sealed. He's still with you. He's still there. Even if we may not feel like it. Are you glad tonight that our feelings don't change God's truth? Our feelings don't change his promises. So what we need to do is believe his word, believe what he says, and obey. Because no matter how you feel, no matter what you've done, God has not forgotten you. Jonah. Jonah probably thought he preached his last message when he was in the belly of a whale. He was wrong about that, wasn't he? What about Peter? Peter probably felt like a washed up disciple. He'd done what he did for Jesus and he made his mistake. He'd, he could never be used again. Was he wrong, huh? John Mark. John Mark probably never thought he could be trusted by the apostles again after he abandoned Paul and Barnabas. Everybody knew about it. We, read, we can read about it in Scripture, but he was wrong. God had more for him. David probably thought that he could never shout or sing again after the, what he committed with Bathsheba and in the murder of her husband. He was wrong. And, and if you are sitting in, in here tonight and you think you are done because of some sin in your life or some circumstance in your life, you're wrong too. I'm thankful that we have a God of second chances. I'm thankful that we have a God that still has a purpose for us even when we've gone against that purpose many years of our life. God wants to use you. So learn from Elijah. Confess your sins. Humble yourself before the Lord. Learn lessons in those waiting periods of life. And when he comes, when he puts a call in your life, when he prompts you to do something, be in a position to be able to respond properly to it. I'm thankful God was not done with Elijah. We also see not only was God not done with Elijah, but God was in complete control even when Elijah was not being used in any way for those five or six years. You know, as God comes to Elijah here in verse 17 and 18, he had instructions, but God, as he already had in every other instance in Elijah's life, had every single needed detail worked out. He had the plan ready. Everything was ready to go for Elijah. God knew where Ahab was. God knew, God knew what Ahab had been doing. I have no doubt that it brought comfort to Elijah to know that God had a plan and that God was in control. Never forget the sovereignty of God. We have a God who is in control, who has the whole world and eternity in view, 
all the time. Turn, turn to Hebrews chapter 4. I've got a verse there for you. Hebrews chapter 4. You know, God knows what is going on in this world. God knows what is going on in your life right now. God knows the, the thoughts of your mind. God knows the intents of your heart. God knew all about Elijah and Elijah's enemy. He knew where Ahab was. He knew what he was doing. And God knows where, what your enemies are up to as well. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 13. Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight, God's sight. But all things are naked and open unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do. God knows, God sees, God hears everything. He's aware. He's aware of what you're facing right now. He's aware of that difficult circumstance, that fear that you haven't shared with anybody else. God is aware of those things. He's aware of the obstacles. He's aware of the trials. He's aware of the failures. He's aware of your hopes. He's aware of your dreams. He knew God was in control. So we see the call in Elijah. Then we see the cause for the call. Look at verse 18. He says, in the middle there, he is in the vineyard of Naboth, whither he has gone down to possess it. Why is God calling Elijah to do what he's going to do? Why, why is there this message that's needed to be delivered to Ahab? We can read the events here. Look at, look at the beginning of the chapter. This, is quite, this would make quite the uh, movie if we had ever, ever watched this. Quite the drama here, beginning of verse 1. It says, And it came to pass after these things that Naboth the Jezreelite had a vineyard, which was in Jezreel, hard by the palace of Ahab king of Samaria. And Ahab spake unto Naboth, saying, Give me thy vineyard, that I may have it for a garden of herbs, because it is near unto my house. And I will give thee for it a better vineyard than it. For if it seem good to thee, I will give thee the worth of it in money. And Naboth said unto Ahab, The Lord forbid it me, that I should give the inheritance of my fathers unto thee. And Ahab came into his house heavy and displeased. He was upset because of the word which Naboth the Jezreelite had spoken to him. For he had said, I will not give thee the inheritance of my fathers. And he laid him down upon his bed and turned away his face and would eat no bread. He couldn't eat. He was so angry. But Jezebel, his wife, came to him and said unto him, Why is thy spirit so sad that thou eatest no bread? And he said unto her, Because I spake unto Naboth, the Jezreelite, and said unto him, Give me thy vineyard for money, or else, if it please thee, I will give thee another vineyard for it. And he answered, I will not give thee my vineyard. And Jezebel, his wife, said unto him, Dost thou now govern the kingdom of Israel? Arise and eat bread and let thine heart be merry. And I will give thee the vineyard of Naboth the Jezreelite. So she wrote letters in Ahab's name and sealed them with his seal and sent the letters unto the elders and to the nobles that were in a city dwelling with Naboth. And she wrote in the letters saying, Proclaim a fast and set Naboth on high among the people. And set two men, sons of Belial, before him to bear witness against him, saying, Thou didst blaspheme God and the king and then carry him out and stone him that he may die. And the men of his city, even the elders of the nobles who were the inhabitants in his city, did as Jezebel had sent unto them. And as it was written in the letters which he had sent unto them, they proclaimed a fast and set Naboth on high among the people. And there came in two men, children of Belial, and sat before him. And the men of Belial witnessed against him, even against Naboth, in the presence of the people, saying, Naboth did blaspheme God and the king. And they carried him forth out of the city and stoned him with stones that he died. Then they sent to Jezebel, saying, Naboth is stoned and is dead. And it came to pass when Jezebel heard that Naboth was stoned and was dead, that Jezebel said to Ahab, Arise, take possession of the vineyard of Naboth the Jezreelite, 
which he refused to give thee for money, for Naboth is not alive, but dead. And it came to pass when Ahab heard that Naboth was dead, that Ahab rose up to go down to the vineyard of Naboth, the Jezreelite, to take possession of it. That's why he was standing for this punishment. That's why God had him give this message. A lot of horrible things done here. They've misused, they abused the law of God. They killed an innocent man. They bribed false, they bribed false witnesses to lie against that man. And then they stole from the dead. It's pretty low, isn't it? Possibly, and they're pretty low people, but possibly the lowest moment of their life. Because of that, they earned a judgment from God that we're about to read about here. So here's the message, verse 19. God wanted him to deliver this. And thou shalt speak unto him, saying, Thus saith the Lord, hast thou killed and also taken possession? And thou shalt speak unto him, saying, Thus saith the Lord, in the place where dogs lick the blood of Naboth, shall dogs lick thy blood, even thine. It's pretty direct, isn't it? <laughs> God gave him this message to deliver. I want you to tell him where you killed Naboth, where his blood was spilled, that's where your blood's going to be spilled. There's two basic divisions to this message from God. We first of all see the sin. God knew what Ahab did. He knew exactly what Ahab did. He knew about the murder. He knew about the lies. He knew about the stealing. God knew it all. We just read a verse a few minutes ago. Nothing we do is hid from God. God sees all. God knows all. He's aware of how we deal with others. He's aware of our, the sins in our life. And just so we're aware tonight, sin is anything against God. Anything against the words of God, the commands of God, the will of God. God knows everything there is to know about you. God knows everything there is to know about the actions that come from you in your heart. Nothing in your life is hidden from God. The proverb is written, Proverbs 15 says, The eyes of the Lord are in every place beholding the evil and the good. He knows the good you do. He knows the evil you do. He knows the good you think. He knows the evil you think. That's the sin. He laid it right out before Ahab. And here's the punishment. For Ahab, there was one option. Death. And a pretty gruesome one at that. The murder, the theft, the idolatry, every, every form of wickedness and evil in Ahab's life. He's guilty in the sight of God and he was sentenced to die here in the 21st chapter of 1 Kings. Now as we look at Ahab's life, how many opportunities has Ahab been given to this point? Many. Many years ago, Elijah went to him and told him, you're, you're against God, you're worshiping idols, false gods, it's not going to rain for three, it's not going to rain until I say it's going to rain. Judgment. Years, years later, all these other things are happening, he's there in the mountain, he sees 450 prophets of Baal against one prophet of God who won. No repentance again. Five to six years later, we find him here, doing everything he wanted to do, him and, him and his wife both together. He'd been given plenty of chances. He'd been given plenty of messages. He'd been, had plenty of things come to him from God and seen evidence of God in his life. Plenty of opportunities to repent and to turn back to God. And now we see God saying, that's enough. It's time to be punished. Now, God is full of grace. Everything that Ahab had to this point, all the chances Ahab had was much more than he deserved. But God, God got to this point where he said, that's enough. And the chastisement was coming. You know, for the Christian and I, God may allow the Christian to wander in sin for a season. And we know tonight there's pleasure in sin for a season. 
But there's a day that comes that God chastises. And I want to encourage you tonight, do not think you can play games with God. Do not think we can play around with sin and continue to, to sin over and over again and nothing is going to happen. There is a price to pay. If you're already saved, there's, there's nothing that can take you out of your father's hand. There's nothing that can uh, take away the, the benefit of heaven for the Christian. But there is the favor of God that can be removed from the Christian's life. It's the blessings of God that can be removed from the Christian's life. Galatians, Paul wrote to the church of Galatia here in chapter 6, verse 7, Be not deceived, God is not mocked, for whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. For he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption, but he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. And let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. We reap the benefits of doing right, we reap the consequences of doing wrong. If you continue in sin, there's going to be a day where God says that's enough. God knows how to get our attention, doesn't he? And he will not hesitate to use whatever that is to get your attention. Is there a Christian here tonight that can think of a difficulty that came in your life and immediately you knew, yep, I deserve that one. Been there. So how do we get to that point? What, what causes us to just continue to give into those sins or continue to find ourselves in those places where we are living not as God wants us to live. We've chosen who we've given place to. You know, Paul wrote to the church of Ephesus, neither give place to the devil. We don't need to leave open doors for sin. I've shared that joke with you. I, I share it because it's, it's one that can be a help to you. That man went to the doctor. Doctor, I broke my arm in two places. What should I do? And the doctor looked at him and said, stay out of those places. We know those places that get us, don't we? We know those temptations that cause us to fall. We know those certain subjects that may cause us to, to think wrongly or, or be full of anger or hate, whatever it may be. We know those places. Some people fall into temptation where none of us are exempt from that. But many people prepare for temptation or, or do not prepare to fight the temptation. I read a story today about this father and son, and the dad said, son, don't swim in that canal. And the son looked at him and said, okay, dad, I won't. But later that night, the son came home with, the, with wet clothes. The dad looked at him and said, where have you been? And the son looked at him and he said, swimming in the canal. The dad looked at him and said, didn't I tell you not to swim there? And the boy said, yes, sir. And he said, well, why did you? And he said, well, I've had my bathing suit with me and I couldn't resist the temptation. The dad looked at him and said, well, I told you not to swim. Why would you have your bathing suit with you? And he says, so I'd be prepared to swim in case I was tempted. Now, too many of us expect to sin and encourage sin. We know what causes us to fall. We know what causes us to mess up. We know those places that we continue to, to break our arm in, as we, as we talked about a minute ago. Stay out of those places. Stop putting ourselves in opportunities to continue to, to, to be tempted or to, to fall to that sin. Leave, uh, leave, stop leaving options open to sin. Stop keeping relationships in our life that are going to cause us to fall again. Don't uh, continue on with, those, with that fellowship. Don't uh, keep the internet where, uh, with these certain 
open avenues as, as, many, as many do. Keep, keep the vices out of our life. Do whatever you can. If there's a vice in your life, is there, if there's a temptation in your life, do whatever you can not to leave an invitation for sin to come back. There needs to be something done. Not only do we need to remove the sin or the temptation or, or more opportunities for it, because as much as we can protect ourselves, there's going to be more temptation that comes. Not only do we need to do that, but we also need to just put on Jesus. Paul wrote to the church of Rome, he said, But put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. Turn from it and go to God. Decide. We're going we're gonna to see that, see that phrase and speak about a decision many, many services this year. Maybe all of them, I don't know. We have to decide every day. Choose who we're going to serve. In the book of Numbers, very, very famous story here and the well-known story in the Word of God. He says in, Romans, in Numbers chapter 32, but if ye will not do so, behold, ye have sinned against the Lord, and be sure your sin will find you out. We can enjoy the pleasure for a little bit, but eventually punishment will come, chastisement will come. It's all over the Word of God. We can't avoid it. There's a new call on Elijah. Not only was there a new call, but I'm thankful we see a new obedience. We look here in verse 20. Verse 19, excuse me. Elijah went, verse 20. Hast thou found me, O mine enemy? Elijah headed right to Ahab. Elijah looked at him. Five or six years have gone by, and as soon as Ahab locked eyes with Elijah, he knew exactly who he was, and he called him out for how much he hated him. You found me. My enemy. He recognized him once again. I found it interesting. Ahab looks at Elijah as an enemy. But in reality, Elijah was possibly the best friend that Ahab had. Because Elijah tried his best to get the message of God to this man. He didn't owe anything to Ahab. He owed something to God. God commanded him. He needed to obey him. But Elijah owed nothing to Ahab. But he delivered the truth every time God told him to. He tried repeatedly to point him in the wrong direction. And if Ahab, he recognizes Elijah as his enemy. But if Ahab had any enemy, it would have been himself or his wife. The source of his trouble was not Elijah. Verse 25, we actually, we actually see it says, Whom Jezebel, his wife, stirred up. He listened to that wicked woman over and over again. And she kept causing him to do things or tempting him to do things or fixing things for him. If anybody was his enemy, it wasn't Elijah, it would have been her. Christian, the one who tells you the truth is not your enemy, but your friend. Young person here tonight, the mom or dad that tells you the truth is not your enemy, they're your friend. Christian, that good influence in your life, that good person in your life, whether it's a spouse or, or a friend, a relative, that or your pastor that tells you the truth is not an enemy, but a friend. The truth hurts, don't it? <laughs> sometimes it hurts, and sometimes in our flesh we don't respond correctly to it, but make sure you take a moment to think about it. Make sure we weigh these things in the Word of God, and if that, that, those words spoken line up with the Bible, listen, heed to it. A good friend will speak the truth. Little extra for you, but we speak it in love, right? We don't speak it to injure, we speak it to help. 
we look at the confrontation here. Elijah, he, Ahab looked to him, you're my enemy. Elijah looked to him, the second half of that verse. I have found thee because thou hast sold thyself to work evil in the sight of the Lord. There was no small talk, was it? <laughs> he goes, you've messed up, Ahab. And God has me to bring a message to you. He told Ahab his sins have been exposed. Everybody knows about it. It reminds me of what we would find in the story of David after the great sin with Bathsheba uh, where Nathan looked at him and pointed the finger and said, thou art the man, the very same thing. Now, if we put ourselves in Ahab's shoes here, did Ahab do any of this? Physically, no. It was handled for him by other people. And, and possibly Ahab is there in the vineyard enjoying himself and he's rationalized the events that happened with Naboth in a way where he's thinking, you know, I, I really didn't have anything to do with it. I was minding my own business. It was Jezebel that came. She told me Naboth was dead and it's too bad, but it's not my fault. Ahab probably had plenty of excuses. But the truth is, Ahab was, Naboth was dead because Ahab was covetous. Naboth was dead because Ahab no control over his family. Naboth was dead because Ahab turned a blind eye to those things that are right. Naboth was dead because Ahab no regard for the clear word of God and put a stop to none of it. In, in verse 20, Elijah told Ahab he had sold himself. You know what that means? That he has this lifestyle, this habit formed, given over to something. Ahab had given his life completely over to sin and those things contrary to the, to the words of God and commands of God. He may not have done the direct act, but he was in sin here. He was in fault. And there's a punishment. Verse 21 says, Behold, I will bring evil upon thee. And will take away thy posterity and will cut off from Ahab him that pisseth against the wall and him that is shut up and left in Israel. Verse 23 and of Jezebel also spake the Lord, saying, The dog shall eat Jezebel by the wall of Jezreel. Him that dieth of Ahab in the city, the dog shall eat. And him that dieth in the field shall the fowls of the air eat. And punishment's a little personal, isn't it? First one to be punished was Ahab. Ahab deserved it. God had punishment directly for him. And again tonight, it just keeps coming up. God will punish those that have sinned directly their sin look at Hebrews chapter 12 Hebrews chapter 12 we've mentioned it many times over the last few months God is not standing above you with a baseball bat ready to to punish you as soon as you sin against him he's he loves you he's full of grace but we find in the Bible there comes a point where God says that's enough in Hebrews chapter 12 verse 5 and ye have forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as unto children. My son, despise not the chastening of the Lord, neat nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. If he endure chastening, God dealeth with you as with sons. For what son is he whom the Father chasteneth not? Parents, you've punished your children before, haven't you? You've grounded them, you've taken things away, you've punished them. Because you hate them or because you love them? Because you love them. Young people in here tonight, we understand there's been times in life where we've been punished. We deserved it. 
we are punished to learn from those mistakes. Our parents or whoever those were that were over us punished us to help us be better people and to learn what it is to do right. God will punish us. But look what it says, for whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth. You know, I came to a point in my life where when that chastisement come, or like I said earlier, when something happened, I knew I deserved that or I had it coming because of what I did against God. I thanked God for that. You know why? That's more evidence of my salvation. More evidence that he loves me. More evidence that he cares enough about me to get me back on track where I need to go. And when chastisement comes in your life, you can rejoice in it. If you, if you respond properly to it, you can rejoice in it. Verse 11 of Hebrews chapter 12. Now, no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous. It's not, but grievous. Nevertheless, afterward, it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. It hurts. It's not fun, but it's for the better. This punishment to Ahab was personal. Second thing, it was impactful. Look at verse 22. I will make thine house like the house of Jeroboam. Ahab's told, not only has your sin affected you, it's affected those around you. Those in your house, your children. It didn't just affect him. It didn't just affect Jezebel, it affected so many more people. That's one of the sad consequences of allowing sin to continue in the life of a Christian. Because it doesn't just affect you. It affects many people around you. Parents, it affects the children or those under your influence. If they see us saying one thing and doing something else, some will, will wonder, is what we even believe true? This invites a judgment of God in your life and, and causes them to doubt God or to be bitter against God and not to care about anything we've ever done because what we've instructed them just shows a lot of hypocrisy in our life. We couldn't do it ourselves. Your sin doesn't just affect you, it affects many people. There's people at work that you know that know that to some extent that you're a Christian, possibly. They may have heard you say you go to church or they may have, you may have witnessed them before, invited them to come with you to something and when you sin, when we go against God and we give it a temptation and when we mess up, it impacts those people. There's many people in your life, you're the only Bible they're ever going to read. Our sin not only affects us, it affects others. This punishment also, the third thing, it was very clear. Pretty descriptive message we read in verse 21 to 26, isn't it? We, we see it from the start all the way to the end. We know how far it's going to reach. This message was definitely not a vague message. Ahab knew when this was over exactly what was going to happen. Do you think as, as Elijah finished that Ahab thought, you know, I wonder what he's talking about. Now, he, he didn't wonder anything. He knew exactly. It was a message very plain. It was a message very clear that even a wicked, hard-headed person like Ahab had no trouble getting the point of it. The word of God is clear. The Bible's clear on what we should do, what we shouldn't do. We find warning after warning in the Bible don't ignore it. We have a clear message, don't we? Let's think of some clear messages we find in the Bible. One, we find the book of Romans chapter 6, verse 23, where it says, for the wages of sin is what? Death. Death. 
That's a warning. If you die without Christ, as hard as it is for us to say it and for people to accept it, the Bible says if you die without him, you go to hell. If you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you do not have a place in heaven. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And the Bible says, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's a warning. That's some instruction. It's clear. Don't ignore it. 1 John chapter 5 says, and we know that we are of God and the whole world lieth in wickedness. Do you believe we live in a wicked world? Warning after warning in the word of God. Blessed is a man that endureth temptation. You're going to face that. For when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. That we live in a world of wickedness. We live in a world where we're going to be tempted. Why is that? Because the Bible says in, in Ephesians chapter 6, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Because of that, wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God. More warnings. More instruction. You know, Jesus said in Matthew 24, watch, therefore, for you know not what hour the Lord doth come. Every day you live is important. We need to live that I have decided life. Every day matters. Everything you do matters. Because one day he's coming back. You know, Jesus spoke in the end of Luke. He said, there shall be signs in the sun and in the moon and the stars and upon the earth, the stress of nations with perplexity, the sea and the waves roaring. Men's hearts failing them for fear and for looking after those things which are coming on the earth for the powers of heaven shall be shaken. And then shall they see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. And when these things begin to come to pass, then look up and lift up your heads for your redemption draweth nigh. Warning after warning in the word of God that one day he's coming back. It might happen in our lifetime, we don't know. But we need to live ready for it because he told us to. Those are clear warnings. If you look here, we see a new message, we see a new, new obedience. I love this last one. We find it a repeated mercy. We look in, in verse 27. It says, and it came to pass when Ahab heard those words, he heard the warnings, he heard the punishment, it hit him finally. When he heard those words that he rent his clothes and put sackcloth upon his flesh and fasted and lay in sackcloth and went softly. There was repentance. Ahab received the message of God, he heard it, and he knew this was it. Chances are over. He, says, I, he knew he needed to repent or his life was done. So we see an amazing thing happen. This man that had, as Elijah described, sold himself to work evil, walked in true repentance. To a point where God said he, was, he's, he humbled himself before him. You know what hit me today? Ahab's pretty messed up, isn't he? He's a part of some bad things. But Ahab wasn't too far gone to come back to God. And that is hope for all of us. Repentance happened. Repentance is a change of mind that results in a change of action. Repentance can be best described as someone heading one direction and taking a 180 going the other direction. 
there may be people in here tonight or people that you know that you, you know are living in sin and the judgment of God could come at any moment in them. Repent. If it's you, repent. If it's someone you know, pray for them to repent. Encourage them to come back to God. Acknowledge the sin. Get it out in the open. Confess and turn. Repentance is a key to anyone that wants to enjoy God's presence and power instead of punishment. Not too far gone. And then we see this period of grace. Verse 28 29, God went to, came to Elijah and said, Seest thou how Ahab humbleth himself before me? Because he humbleth himself before me, I will not bring the evil in his days. God is showing grace to a man that deserved no grace. He deserved everything God had coming to him. Reminds me of what we deserve, doesn't it? book of Ephesians says we were dead in our trespasses and sins. We uh, could not get to heaven on our own, but God, who is rich in mercy, did everything that we needed to be done to get to heaven. And only by his grace can we be saved. I believe Ahab was sincere. It appears at this time he spent a great amount of time repenting and, and fasting and, and seeking God and, and mourning over the mistakes he'd made. Later in his life, if we, if we look, he falls into sin again. But right now, he was right. He got where he needed to be with God. He turned away the wrath of God. Now, you can do as you please. God created us with a free nature, and are you glad for that? You make your own choices. We can live in sin. We can play a game with sin. We can live below his instruction for our life. But one day, if we continue on that path, God will say that's enough. That chastisement will come. Don't be shocked. The old song says sin will take you farther than you want to go, stay longer than you want to stay, cost you more than you want to pay. That's what sin does. Has anybody ever heard of a town called Wabush, Canada? Anybody? Ju Juliet, yeah? You show us on the map? It's in Labrador, Canada. And this town, Wabush, was completely isolated. For many years, they could only approach it by plane they, or, or hiking over the mountain. They, they could, there was no road that got there. Now, Wabush has a road leading into it, one road going through the country, and it takes about six to eight hours going through nothing to get to this, old, to get to this town. It has one road in, and if you ever want to leave Wabush, which many people that would go there, uh, this one in particular wouldn't stay too long. I'd want to go back to civilization. There's only one road out. And the only way you can leave that town, you can't leave it by going through, you can only leave it by going back the way you came. Each of us at different times in our life arrive at a place of sin. Just like Wabush, there's only one way out. There's only one way out of, of a of sin before God, there's only one way out of, of being in a wrong standing with him, and that is a road built by God himself and following his instructions of repentance. A complete about face. There's no way out but doing that. I encourage you, repent. Keep short accounts with God. Don't let the, the smallest sin stay in your life. Repent, confess sin to him, Get, be where you need to be with him. And we look here, I've never spent much time here in 1 Kings 21, but we find a lot of good stuff, don't we? God's grace, 
is an amazing thing. We see grace for the prophet. God wasn't done with Elijah. We see grace in a wicked king named Ahab. He gave him a period of time where the punishment didn't come. There's two things for us tonight. First thing, if you feel you're not being used by God, if you wonder if God is used with you, let me tell you, he's not. Stay faithful, even in the quiet. Stay faithful, even when it seems God's done with you because he isn't. Wait for him to use you. Wait for him to lead you. And the second thing, sin destroys lives. We have a God who forgives, and what we need to do is repent. Don't abuse the grace of God. If you're here tonight and you're breathing, which all of us are, he's not done with you. So there's two things we can do tonight. Get right or stay right. Amen? Get right or stay right. That is the I have decided life. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Praise the Lord tonight for the illustration.